Everybody has a recipe. Everybody has a recipe for happiness. All of us in this room, we want to be happy. Nobody wants to be miserable. Nobody wants to be sad. And, and the question is, is, do I have the right recipe? Now, you learned your recipe from home, from parents, from peers. You learned your recipe maybe from some deficiencies in life. Maybe you grew up poor, and so your recipe is always going to have lots of resources. Maybe you grew up where you didn't get to go anywhere, so you always want to be able to travel. But you, you learned your recipe for happiness from somebody or from somewhere, right? And we all have that. Well, um, this past week, I got to go to the lightning game on Wednesday night. And period one, the lightning fans were happy. <laughs> period two, the lightning fans were happy. Halfway through the third period, the lightning fans weren't so happy. But after last night's victory, we're all happy. That's right. That's right. Um, we should be talking about Jesus. Okay. I also got to go deep sea fishing this week. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Caught enough snapper to feed the 5,000. We just had a great time. Um, but while we were out there, the GPS, we're only out there 51 miles. The GPS decides to take a sabbatical. About the same thing. We weren't very happy at that point. About the same time, we realized that we were out of water. Can you imagine that? All of us guys out there were out of water 51 miles. We weren't very happy at that point, right? So you, you realize that as you go through life, you do a lot of things to keep yourself what? Happy. Now, here's what Jesus does. Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount now for several weeks this summer. Jesus begins to talk about basically a recipe for happiness. But he offers something they've never heard before. The Old Testament closes down the book of Malachi with curses. And Jesus now in Matthew chapter 5 is going to talk about how you can be blessed how you can be happy, how you can have God's favor. And it, it was like, it was majorly radical. So here's what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Jesus starts off. He says, now when, the, when, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. Now, I, I know that's what the scriptures say. I've been to that very spot, but it's not a very big mountain. It's right by the Sea of Galilee. Let me show you a picture of this. This was last September. Did I tell you that Danita and I went to Israel? <laughs> have, have, have I mentioned that yet? I, 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 I can't remember. If I've, have I talked about that? Maybe once or twice. So we're, we're right there. And, and by the way, the very verse before this talks about the crowds. The end of chapter 4 talks about... So there's thousands of people on this large hill... And, and Jesus then begins to teach, here's how you can be happy. And it was something they've never heard before. Here's how you can connect with my Father. And if you connect with my Father, you will be happy. They've never heard this before. Here's what they've heard. Keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the law. Observe the Sabbath all these rules and regulations. And here's what every good Jewish person knew. They knew they couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. 
They knew they couldn't just always have no other gods, no graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord the God in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. They knew they couldn't do that. They knew they couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. And there's about another 603. So there's about 613 laws altogether that they're trying to keep. And guess what Jesus does? They can't keep the low level of the law. And Jesus says, but if you want to be happy, you got to come up here. Well, I mean, you know, you heard that we weren't supposed to murder over here, but, but I'm telling you, don't even call somebody a fool. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, what that really means. You're supposed to get along with your enemies? Yeah, get along with them. No, 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 no. I'm asking you to pray for them and to love them. Jesus, we don't like them. That's why they're called enemies. I, I know, but I'm asking you to pray for them, and I'm asking you to love them. Jesus, we fast, but we want everybody to know we're fasting. We look terrible. Our hair's not washed. I, I, I know. And so when you fast, you put oil on your hair, head, you wash your hair, you don't let everybody else know that you're fasting. Well, Jesus, when we give, we give it kind of, it's a clangy, it's change, it makes a lot of noise. Everybody knows, you know, we're throwing in lots of money. Jesus, I know, I know. But when you give, I don't want everybody else to, to know about it. And then, this is like the deal breaker of all deal breakers. We know we're not supposed to commit adultery, but now we can't even think about that? Are you kidding we're, we're, we can't even think about lust or adultery in our hearts. We're doomed. We are absolutely doomed. And then Jesus lowers the boom. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you're not going to make it. They're the most righteous people we know. They fast twice a week. Now think about that. That's 104 days out of every year. I couldn't get some of you to fast 10 days back in January, right? Because the price was a little bit too high. The Pharisees, they tithe even their spices. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, they tithe mint, dill, and cumin. They even tithe their spices. Who's more righteous than the Pharisees? Nobody's more righteous than the Pharisees. Are you kidding me? And now you're telling me I got to be more righteous than the Pharisees? And if I'm the cobbler, I'm the butcher, I'm the farmer. Are you kidding me? I don't have time to read the scriptures all day long. And, 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 and all these people are going, we're doomed, we're doomed, we're doomed. And Jesus is going, time out, time out. I'm not asking you to replace the Ten Commandments with the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm asking you to replace all this stuff with me. I'm asking you to receive me. I know you can't keep the low level of the law. I know there's a gap between you and the righteousness of God. That's where I come in. And everybody in this room feels that gap. Your gap might be bigger than mine or less than mine, but you got a gap between your righteousness and the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of God, and we all feel it. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why Jesus shed his blood. Jesus came to give his life to fill the gap to make you and me righteous. That's the beauty of all this. But here's what he does for us today. Today, he offers us 
how to be happy. It's a recipe. And, and it's, it's an invitation. You don't have to do it. You can continue with your own recipe. You can continue your own direction. Let me just say this to you. If your recipe for happiness is working and it's outside of God and it's outside of Christ, I don't blame you. Why would you consider Christ? But if your recipe isn't working and you'd like to consider the claims of Christ, then lean in and listen carefully today because Jesus is going to give us a recipe for happiness that's 180 degrees different than culture, all right? So here's what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And I'm going to use today the message translation because these Beatitudes are tough. They're hard to understand. And so I don't often use the message on Sunday morning, but I think we need to today to be able to understand what in the world these Beatitudes are talking about. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, by the way, he said, you're blessed. And that's the word for happy. That's the word for favor. You're blessed, you're happy, you're favored when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule in your life. So here's a little tagline. If I put all my trust in God, then I will be happy. That's a big decision. So let me ask you today, do you trust your heavenly father? Do you believe that your heavenly father always has your best interests in mind? That's what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus' recipe goes from me-centered, culture-centered, to heavenly father-centered. If you put all your trust, if I put all my trust in God, then I will be happy. Look at verse 4. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. And only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. If I destroy my idols, then I will be happy. I will have God's favor. And all of us in this room come to this point at some time in our lives. We all have to figure out whether or not we have something in front of our relationship with Christ. So if I destroy that, Jesus is saying, I will be happy. Again, he's the perfect gentleman. He is offering you something better. And you have to decide whether or not you're going to receive that invitation. Look at the next verse. The verse says this. You're blessed. That's the word happy. That's the word favored. You're blessed. You're happy. You're favored. When you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Now, I really like my little tagline. I wrote it. I would like it. But, but here, here's why I like this, okay? He says this, if I, if I recognize my worth to God, then I will be happy. I'll, I'll be blessed. Do you recognize ladies in this room, young ladies, your worth to your heavenly father? Young men in this room, do you, do you realize your worth to your heavenly father? Women and men, moms, dads, grandparents, do, do we realize how valuable our Heavenly Father considers us. You see, if I recognize it, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be favored. I'm going to be happy. That's my recipe if I recognize it. Look at verse 6. You're blessed. You're favored. You're happy when you've worked up a good appetite for God. 
He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Maybe you remember the other translations about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, okay? If I long for more of God in my life, then I will be happy. And that's so true. And the people in this room who hunger and thirst for God, and they want more of God in their lives, their favor, their blessedness, just gets richer and deeper and deeper. Look at the next beatitude, verse 7. You're blessed when you care. You're, you're favored. You're happy when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself being cared for. And that's how I spelled the word full. When you are full of mercy, when you have mercy toward other people, other people have mercy toward you. When you give other people grace, gifts they don't earn, they give you grace in return. And the whole Christian life is about grace and mercy. The mercy is he withholds from us what we deserve. The grace is he gives us gifts we haven't earned. And and if I care about what God cares about, then I will be happy. And God cares about people. God cares about restoration. God cares about redemption. God cares about you moving in a little bit more healthy situation today than you were six months ago. If I care about what God cares about, cares about children. He cares about students. He cares about teens. He cares about adults moving toward a healthy relationship. Then, then I, I will be happy. Are any of these your recipes? Any of this on your radar? Look at the next verse. You're blessed. I really like this one. Don't miss this one. If you've been asleep, punch the person beside you. Wake them up, okay? Tell them there's a fire. No, don't tell them that. That's, but anyway, just wake them up. You're favored, you're happy when you get your inside world. I love this. You get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right. You know why that's so important to me? Haven't you been to a church where somebody's yelling at you the whole time and trying to motivate you from the outside in? How long does that work? Till you get out on US 19 and somebody cuts you off. That's how long that works, right? Doesn't last very long, does it? And so, so it's, like, it's like a coach. If a coach or a teacher is yelling at some student, trying to motivate from the outside in, that, that doesn't work very long. It's internal. And what I love about our Heavenly Father is, yes, He's concerned about our behavior. Yes, He is. But it starts on the inside. It starts with who we are. He begins to change us from the inside out. And so you're blessed if you align your inside. I'm blessed. When you get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right, then you can see God. I love that. Then you can see God. Now, Jeremiah told us this was going to happen. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 says this was going to happen. There's going to come a day. It won't be like any other day. It'll be a most unique day. And God's going to not just have the law. He's going to have his spirit inside of us. And that's what Jesus is communicating. That's what Jesus is prognosticating in this Sermon on the Mount. That there's coming a day when I will put my spirit inside of your mind and inside of your heart. And then from the inside out, you change, you grow, you change, you grow, you change, you grow. And you're never the same. Isn't that cool? When you begin to change on the inside and your inside begins to get aligned with the behavior that he expects. So here's the word. If I get my inside world aligned first, then I will be happy. And don't, don't you agree with that? 
And when you've experienced that, hasn't that been true? Uh, look at the next one. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Here's a little tagline. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. If I diffuse conflict, then I will be happy. Let me ask you a question. When there's conflict, do you throw gasoline or water on that conflict? Do you stir it up? Are you a stir-upper? I'm not sure that's a legal uh, term. Are you, are you a stir-upper? Or do you try to diffuse it? Jesus talks about, are you a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. You will be happy if you learn to diffuse conflict, and you will be happy when you learn to be a peacemaker. If I diffuse conflict, I will be happy. Let me ask you this question. All of us in this life, there's conflict. There's conflict in the morning. There's conflict in the afternoon. There's conflict at work. There's conflict at home. There's conflict in the neighborhood. What do you do when there's conflict? About a week and a half ago or so, we were on vacation in San Destin, Florida, the Destin area up in the Panhandle, and we were having a ball up there. And there were about three or four different families from our Memphis church who were also up there, just happened to be up there at the same time. I was a pastor for 16 years in Memphis, Tennessee. And one of those families that was there, um, we were spending some time with their kids, and they were spending some time with our kids and just have, having a great time. And so I took the, the, the 17-year-old boy um, wanted to spend some time, and I wanted to spend some time with him. Now, his daddy is really good with his hands. His daddy does not have a, what you'd call a formal education, but his dad can fix anything, do anything. His dad's really good with his hands. This young man is not that way. This young man's very academic. This young man is book smart and loves, loves books. And so they're very, very different. And so the mom and dad said, would you spend some time with him? I said, Absolutely. So the first thing I did was I, I took him to Starbucks. <laughs> that shocks all of you, doesn't it? And I bought him a drink, and, and we're talking a little bit. And uh, he wanted to go to Barnes & Noble's. And I thought, this is cool. 17-year-old young man, he had some summer reading books. He had three different books that he needed to go buy. We spent three hours, he and I, in Barnes & Noble's. He loved all these books. He loved all this different literature. And then we were thirsty, so we had to go back to Starbucks, which made me very happy. And so we're back at Starbucks, and um, I began to talk to him about his dad. I said, you know, you're very different from your dad. I mean, he was ta- but he honors his dad. He loves his dad, and, and yet he wants to go to school and get degrees, and he's got all kinds of dreams and plans, and I think he's going to do really, really well. And then he, I, I was saying he loves his mother. He just thinks the world of his mother. But he said, he said, but mom and I get into it. He said, mom and I, we go at it. We yell. We scream. And see, that happens in Memphis. That doesn't happen in Tampa. The, the, the Memphis people are not nearly as spiritual or far more sinful than, than you are. That doesn't happen in our homes in Tampa, right? Students and parents, we never have those conflicts in our home. I already had communion. Please forgive me for that. And so I said to him, I said, his name's Dalton. I said, Dalton, how can you diffuse the conflict? Do you know what buttons to push on mama? And he kind of grinned, yeah. I said, that's probably not a good idea, is it? How how does that end for you? Not well. Car keys get taken away, beats me. I don't know what she does. But anyway, and I I said, well, I said, Dalton, how can you diffuse, it was really some L-E-T, how can you diffuse conflict? 
And he came up with like three or four wonderful ways that he's going to put it. I said, that's beautiful. That's really smart. But up until this point, he wanted to throw gasoline on the conflict. And I said, well, are you happy? He said, no, we're all miserable. I said, okay. Well, now you have a different strategy. Now you have, have a different approach. And that, that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying. And so what Jesus does in this Sermon on the Mount is he offers a radical recipe for happiness. Now, you don't have to choose this recipe. You can take a different approach. And most people do. Our culture, our society has a different approach to happiness. So let's talk about some of those for just a second or two. Number one, alcohol. Alcohol can make you happy, right? I've seen some of you very happy, okay? (laughs) But it doesn't make you happy forever. And the problem with alcohol trying to make you happy is drunkenness leads to misery. And alcoholism leads to a wake of pain and problems in people's homes, right? So if you're trying to be happy, if alcohol is your recipe for happiness, that gravy train comes to an end, doesn't it? All, All sex outside of marriage is a sin. All sex outside of marriage is sin. And so sexual sins can lead to temporary happiness, temporary pleasure. But it quickly transitions into guilt and shame. So it doesn't last very long. I think, I think we all like money. I mean, I like spending money. Who in the room likes spending money? I love spending money, okay? Especially if it's your money. I love spending money, all right? But, but the problem is, if we spend too much money to make us happy, then we become in, in debt. And indebtedness leads to chest pains, doesn't it? Right? Indebtedness does not make anybody happy. Nobody's happy with indebtedness. We want to climb that ladder and have a better job and a better position in life. We can do that. And if we betray people and step on people and step over people to to get better positions, we might get a better job. We might make 12% more a year on our income. But what happens is what? You're, You're full of anxiety and you're always looking over your shoulder. Because somebody's going to get you if you have betrayed them. And so Jesus offers something different. Jesus is not asking us to replace those Ten Commandments with this Sermon on the Mount. He knows you can't live it. He knows you can't. So he says this. He says, let me come inside of you. Let me begin to live this life through you. It's a philosophical decision, whether you're going to be me-centered or you're going to be God-centered. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, just these little words says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Guys, those are great words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what he wants to do? He wants to come inside of you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He wants to redeem you. And when he does, he gets all the credit for that because he's the one changing you. Book of Philippians, Paul says the same thing. Paul just puts an exclamation point on it. Paul says this in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you. Now, I love that. God wants to work in you, not outside of you, not around you. God wants to work in you. It is God who wants to work in you to will and to act. Now, circle will and circle the word act because that's the part about the inside of you. 
You think about this. How does God work? He works inside of you, and then your behavior lines up with his will in you. And so you don't start with your behavior first. You start with the inside of you first. And it's, the one, it's God's the one doing it. So God's the one who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his great purpose. And so God has this amazing purpose for your life. And he's asking you to let him do his life inside of you. But here's the deal. You got to choose. You got to make a choice. And everybody in the room has a recipe for happiness. And everybody in this room, you're cooking your recipe right now. And Jesus is saying, this is a better offer. This is a better approach to life that will get you under his favor under his blessing, and, and you will be happy. So let me say those same things in the Beatitudes now just a little bit differently, okay? Let's look at those. Here's what we have to do. Really, it comes down to a choice, right? I, I choose to put all my trust in God. Now, that's a big statement. I'm going to believe that my Heavenly Father always has my best interests in mind. I choose. Number two, I choose to destroy whatever is in front of me and God, my idols. Whatever it is that's in my way of fulfilling the purposes, I choose to, to get rid of it. That's called repentance. Look at the next one. I choose to recognize my worth to God. I think this is a big one. I think everybody in this room has got to understand, yes, you had guilt. Yes, you had shame. Yes, you had. But because of Christ, it's all been washed away. Your sins are removed. They're, they're buried in the deepest sea. They're removed as far as the east is from the west. I think we have to understand that we are valuable in his sight. Look at the next one. I choose to long for more of God in my life. That's why we do the connect groups. That's why we do the Bible studies. That's why we have prayer groups. We're just trying to set you up for success. I choose to long for more. The next one, I choose to care about what God cares about. I think that one's huge. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what God cares about, and I'm going to care about that. That's why we're doing the Marriage Matters. That's why we're building a wedding chapel. It's a tool. But we think God cares about the home. We think God cares about the family. And when God cares about that, we're going to get real serious about that. Look at the next one. I choose to get my inside world aligned first. Can you imagine how much better you would feel if you got your inside world aligned first? And then this last one is about conflict. Look at the last one. I choose to diffuse conflict. I'm not going to throw gas. I'm going to throw water. Even though I'm right, okay, I'm going to throw water. All right, here's what we're going to do next. You have to pick one. You have to pick one. And in just a minute, when you pick your one, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Just pick one. Now, if you're new to church, you're not even a Christian, when everybody else stands up, you just stand up with them, okay? You, you, you get a pass, all right? The rest of you do not get a pass. What, what's, what's the one area right now that God's, God's tugging on you? I need to make a choice, a decision about, about just, just pick one of those, and all week long, 
Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It is God's will to, God's word to will and to act according to his good purposes. God's going to change me. It, it's God's will to change me. So you pick one of those. If you're not a Christian, you just slide up when the majority slides up. 